Today we're finishing up a short two-part series called Sticks and Stones, The Power of Our Words. You know, as children, we were taught the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, and we all know there's nothing further from the truth. Words do hurt. Words do scar. And emotional wounds often take longer to heal than physical wounds. Words are powerful. Words linger. Words echo in our mind, in our heart, especially if they're spoken in a hurtful way by someone we care about, by someone we look up to, we respect, that we love. The Bible speaks a great deal about words. God spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was Light. God created everything with words, and when he was finished, he blessed everything with words. And God gave us a gift like no other creature on the planet. He gave us the ability to speak. What are we doing with that? He gave us the ability to use words to communicate, to plan, to arrange, to love, to create. I love this line. I didn't put it on the screen, but God has hardwired the importance of words into the universe through us. And here's the bottom line. This is on the screen. It's our choice how we use our words. It's our choice every single time. Every single time, no matter what it is, it's our choice how we use them. Now, When I preach something like this, I can just mark it down. There's a test coming. (laughs) God's like, yeah, you can preach it, son, but let's see how you do in the real deal. Well, this past Tuesday, I drove up for a missions meeting in Cleveland, Tennessee. And uh, I I had to get up really early. I was there early and then there all day long. And my daughter goes to school up there. And so I wanted to have dinner with her and my parents live up there. And I was ready to get home because the next day I had to get on a plane to go to a conference. It was a busy week. So I was like rushing to get out of town, but I had to get gas. And so I stopped by this gas station. I whip in there. It was a good price. And I whip in there. And y'all, I'm pretty sure that this was like a triune test. Okay, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all got in on this. There was three levels to this thing. I mean, they were like high-fiving each other in heaven going, wait, it's not over yet. Watch this. (laughs) I'm serious. I pull into the gas station, I pull in, and somehow, tier one, level one, I find the only gas station left in America that does not take a credit card at the pump, okay? They do still exist. I found one this past Tuesday. I couldn't believe it, but I was already there. So I get out, I'm like, well, maybe I can just flip it on and pay and not go in. So I flip it on, sure enough, it comes to life. I was like, okay, good. I can handle this. So I start pumping gas. Well, no sooner that I start pumping gas, this woman comes out of the door and just stops in the doorway and stares at me. I mean, I, I looked around. I was like, she looked like she was going to kill somebody. She, she was just staring at me, and I'm like, and then she started walking towards me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she says, you're pumping my gas. You're pumping. I'm like, what? What? She said, you're pumping my gas. I have already paid for it. I was like, Let me finish, and then I'll pay for yours. No, it didn't work out that way. 
And then I go in to try to make this thing right, and the girl at the register was like 13 years old. I swear it. I swear it. She, she didn't know how to work the machine. She didn't know what had happened. She couldn't comprehend what had taken place outside. That was level two, okay? That I'm, and I ended up paying like $6 for the gallon, of, okay? Because by the time I paid for hers and mine and overage for whatever, I mean, I paid a lot of money for that gasoline. But it fine, that was level two. And the whole time, I wanted to run my mouth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I literally thought of this sermon. I'm like, <laughs> well, guess what? I also needed to use the restroom. No bathroom! <laughs> Tier three. They're up in heaven going, let's see how he handles this one. Yeah! No, I'm serious, y'all. Three levels. And I'm like, you're kidding me. So last week we talked about what to do. But by the way, I passed the test. Come on, give your pastor a hand. Yes. No foul words. No, no abusive words. I wanted so, y'all, I wanted so badly to tell that girl, the 80s called and they want their gas station back. Okay? I didn't. I didn't. Last week we, we talked about what to do. When harmful words come your way, we talked about Nehemiah and what he did when he was attacked verbally, when he was doing God's work and how he handled that and how he counteracted that. And then at the end of the message, we went from Genesis to Revelation and I reminded us what Jesus, what God says about his children, what God says about you, what he thinks about you. Listen, folks, when, when we are abused with, our, with words and we're all like, we need to just remember what God says about us and it's all right here. All of these promises are yes and amen. It's who he says we are that matters. Today I want to flip the coin. Today, I want us to think about our responsibility with our words. Because often, we're not just speaking to people. Listen, we're speaking into their lives. Did you hear what I said? And that's a big deal. Father, I pray right now. I thank you for what you did in the early service. I thank you for five more people who gave their life to you. I thank you for those who received help. And I pray, God, that you would move in this service as well and anoint your word. Let it become prophetic and powerful. In Jesus' name, And everybody said, amen. So we speak an average of 16,000 words per day. Now, wait. I know for a lot of us there's a lot less than that, but some of you are skewing the average and the number by a lot. I'm just saying, some of you. I'm not going to get in trouble. Some of you. But here's the deal. Look at the screen. The sheer number of words that we speak every day can cause us to underestimate their significance. 16,000 words is equivalent to a 60-page mini book. And you're writing one every single day. What is your series of books That you're writing, what does it say about you? What do you want it to say about you? Now, out of so many words, you would think that a few careless ones here and there wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? There are buildings in our subdivision. We live behind uh, uh, Revolution Church, if you know where I'm at. There's a a construction site right there going on. And I'm like a little kid when it comes to these big 
dirt movers. Anybody like that? Just like to watch them? Nobody? Okay, I'll just go on. I stopped the car and was like watching this huge track hoe. Okay, I'm not talking about the little ones you can rent and be like, in your backyard. I'm talking about the massive, gigantic buckets that go down into the ground and pull this huge amount of dirt. So I was watching this. And this thing would come out, and he was going over to the, 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 the truck to put it in. But a bunch of dirt was, like, falling to the sides as it was doing that. Nobody seemed to care about the dirt that was falling to the ground. And it hit me. That's the way we think about our words. We're like, most of them are good, right? Most of my words are okay. It's no big deal that some of them don't hit the mark or that fall to the ground. But in my experience, and yours probably too, those are the ones that count the most. I didn't make the rules. It's just the truth. And that's why we have to be intentional, folks. That's why we have to be careful. That's why we have to be prayerful when it comes to what we say in our conversation. Because look at the screen. Words do more than convey information. Words do more than just convey information. Anybody seen Breakthrough, the movie? Christian movie? Uh, Incredible. Um, I have to admit, when I first was started the movie, watching it, it's a true story. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I think you probably already know the, the premise of it. But I started watching it, and it was a little bit trite. It was like, this is definitely a Christian movie. <laughs> you know? It's like... A little bit too whatever and too Christian almost, you know, kind of dripping. And, but then once the accident happened with this teenager, he fell through the ice. He was like, this is a true story. He was like dead. I mean, he was like under there for 15 or 20 minutes. Once that happened and the rest of it, it was very powerful, extremely powerful. And so this, this kid is in the hospital pretty much dead. Well, he did die. And then, you know, she prays and, well, I don't know, I want they get him back, or he gets him back, I'll just say that, and there's people gathered in the waiting room. So the mom comes out, she's going to talk to them, but she's walking down the hall and she hears them talking. It's not looking good. He's probably not going to make it through the night. What are we going to do to help this family? All these things, and she walked in and she shut everyone down. She said, listen to me. I don't want you here unless you're speaking life. Unless you're speaking positively. I don't want you in the room. And I have a feeling that she was, in real life, she was even like a little mean when she did that. I think she was a little more abrasive. She was mama bear. Come on, somebody. I think she really got on them, and they tapered it back just a little bit for the movie. The power of words. So Proverbs 18.21 said, the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 12.6, uh, the words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. Say that last line with me. The words of the godly save lives. I was reminded of another story when I read that in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 20, that's absolutely true and it's powerful. It makes that come alive. I want to share it with you, but I want to give you some background first. We have the little country of Judah that's been divided off of Israel, and Jehoshaphat is the king during this period of time. And three armies have risen up against 
Judah. Now, Jehoshaphat is one of those rare good kings of Judah. He loves the Lord. But they are facing an impossible, hopeless, helpless situation. When an invading army would come in and win, they would pretty much kill everyone. At best, they would take you as a slave. And that's what they were facing. All of the men and the teenage boys were looking at certain death. And that's what they were facing. Let's look at what happened. How many know God loves to show up in impossible situations? Only about three of you. That's fine. We'll, just, we'll, we'll read it and see if it builds our faith. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 20, 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. Time out. You've got to get that in your mind. You've got to get this picture of these families standing around holding hands, husbands and wives and their little children, grandparents, all standing together knowing the situation is desperate. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. How many have heard of this guy? He's a nobody. He's just a regular guy in the crowd. Are you hearing me? God spoke to him. Son of, he's the son of all these people. A Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. Verse 15. He said. Say that. He said. Say it again. He said. That means he opened up his mouth. Listen to me. Some of you, God speaks a word to you. And it lines up with the word of God. It's confirmed in the word. You have a gift of prophecy and you're not using it. God has, you, God has spoken things in you that you know is him. Because it lines up with the word. But fear has held you back. And I'm telling you, you've got to shake that off in Jesus' name. Because God wants to use you. Pastor, I'm not a, I'm not a, a person on the stage. I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert. I don't care. It doesn't matter. God wants to use you, but you've got to be willing to open your mouth. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. You know, he could have been executed for, for addressing the king that way. Listen, king, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours. But God's. So what's Jehaziel doing here? He's building them up. He's encouraging. He's building their faith with his words. God is using him to speak life into this impossible situation. And I'm telling you, God wants to use you and he wants to use me to speak life into situations. We need to speak life into our marriages. We need to speak life into our schools. We need to speak life into our kids and our teenagers. We need to speak life into our businesses. We need to speak life into our community because God wants to bless it. Come on, somebody. Speak life. Speak life in Jesus' name. Speak life. Jehaziel continues in verse 16. He says, tomorrow march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. (laughs) Take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is what? With you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. My next point is our words should build up and never tear down. Our words should build up. And never tear down. Did you know, I want, I want uh, managers and bosses, directors, parents to hear me. Did you know 
that you can offer correction to somebody. And they, we need that in our life. We need feedback. We need correction. You can offer correction to an employee or to a son or a daughter without tearing them down. It's all in your choice of words and how you use them. Jehaziel could have, man, he had the word of God. He was, he was on fire. He was on a roll. He could have just blasted them. He could have been like, men, get your tail out from between your legs and go and fight like a man and die if necessary. He could have done something like Braveheart or something like that, right? Come on, it's free freedom, you know, whatever. Come on, y'all, help me. I know that was a terrible accent, but that's fine. He could have done that, but he didn't. He built them up instead. He encouraged them. He reminded them of God's covenant. He reminded them of what God's presence could do. He reminded them of God's power. And folks, we can do the same thing. Speak life into a situation. We can do the same thing. Our words should build up and not tear down. Let's see what happens. Skip to verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers. All right, time out. I love this because I'm a singer. I like this. The king appointed singers. Not assassins, singers. My God, we're going to have some church. You know what I'm talking about? Why do you think we begin every single service with singing and worship and praise? Because it's battle. It's because we can all sing the same thing in unison, out loud together. And I'm telling you what's happening in the spirit, if you'll let it, is the walls in your life are coming down so that the word of God, when it comes forth, can go in and go deep. It's serious business. He sent singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. They're facing death. And they're singing, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because Jehaziel had spoke life And their faith was strong, and they began praising the Lord. Jehoshaphat's leadership here gives us our next point. Look at the screen. Our daily word count should always include lyrics of praise to our God. Come on, if we have 16,000 words, some of you have 30,000 words. Come on, you need to use some of them to praise and worship God. You want to change the atmosphere in your home? Do you? You want to change the atmosphere in your workplace? You want to change the atmosphere in your life, in your kids, and everything else? Then you infuse praise and worship into your daily vocabulary. You, not on Sunday morning, I'm talking about Monday when you don't even want to be alive. You begin to open your mouth and give God thanks for his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And you begin to praise and worship him and the atmosphere will change. Come on, somebody. Verse 22, I love this. At the very moment, will you say that with me? At the very moment, say it again. At the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies 
of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. I believe if you'll be obedient to this, I believe the very moment you begin to praise the Lord, he'll begin to work in your life. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against the allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After that, they destroyed the army of Seir. They began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Now, here's how my mind works. What did the last guy do? Fall on his sword? (laughs) Sorry, that had nothing to do with the message. I'm just like, what? Wait, what? Listen, there is power. In your praise. There is power in your worship. There is power in your prayer. There is power in your words. Use them for the glory of God in Jesus' name. It's life and death. And then we have the words of Jesus that we simply cannot ignore this morning. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and I warn you, this is the message version. I hardly ever use this, but man, I love the way it says it. He's talking to to church people right here. Church people. You have the minds of a snake pit. (laughs) Aren't you glad I don't talk to you like that? You have the minds of a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? It's your heart. Everybody say heart. It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good season, words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back and haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning, a time of judgment. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Now, he's not talking about getting saved like eternal salvation in this situation. We know that Jesus can only do that on the, from the cross. He's saying that our, listen now, this is good. He's saying that our words reveal what's already in our heart. Y'all didn't get that. Let me try over here. He's saying that our words reveal what is already in our heart. So he makes the connection between our heart and what? Our mouth, our words, what comes out, what we say. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. He echoes this in one of his most famous verses, Romans 10, 9. We use this all the time in evangelism. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, there's a definite connection between what's in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. What you speak, listen to me, please. What you speak, whether it's life or death, salvation or damnation, encouragement or discouragement, ultimately comes from the condition of your heart. Let me say it again, more simply. What you speak ultimately comes from the condition of your heart. When I was at Lee University, we closed every chapel service with this 
scripture. I want you to read it out loud with me. Psalm 19:14. Let's read it together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's the connection again. For our words to be pure. Come on. For our words to be life-giving and acceptable, then our heart must be pure. And full of life from the Holy Spirit. All right, so here's the rub. And this little section of the sermon is is hard. It's harsh. But I want you to hear it clearly. If what's constantly coming out of your mouth is foul and ugly and hurtful, it's not a vocabulary problem. It's a heart problem. You may have declared at one time Jesus as Lord with your mouth, but nothing has changed in your heart. There's been no transformation. There's been no regeneration. There's been no repentance. And the proof, as they say, is in the pudding. The proof is fleshed out in your behavior. The proof is fleshed out in how you treat one another. The proof is fleshed out in how you talk and speak to one another. A good tree bears good fruit. That's why Jesus says, you will know my disciples by their skinny jeans. <laughs> Wait a minute. I swear that's, that's what YouTube seems to think. No. You don't know somebody's a disciple by the way they dress or even, even how talented they are. Come on, somebody. You will know my disciples by their fruit by what comes out of their life. Jesus said at one time, you're not defiled by what goes into the body, but by what comes out. Mm. I know this is tough preaching. I know it doesn't fill auditoriums to preach this way, but I am responsible to God for everything I teach behind this pulpit, and I love you too much. To sugarcoat this word. I told this in the early service and people were making fun of me. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. If you know me, you kind of know that. I'm not a, necessarily a hugger, but I, I won't refuse. Everybody's coming up and hugging me after the service. I'm like, oh, pastor. I will hug you. I'm a pastor. I will hug you. This is not my natural inclination, but seriously, I can't describe to you the supernatural love that God has given me for you as a shepherd. I, I, I can't. And so for me to sugarcoat this and not tell you the truth, I can't imagine that. So here's, here's the thing. If there is no evidence of salvation coming out of you, then the Spirit of Christ is not living in you. If there's no proof, if there's no good fruit being produced out of you, then the Spirit of Christ is not living in you. And if your condition this morning, if that is your condition, there's no judgment here. 
but it's time to get serious. It's time to take this seriously. It's time to stop playing church games because church can't save you. You can attend for the rest of your life and that will not save you. You can give thousands if millions of dollars are not going to save you. You need to completely turn your heart and life over to Jesus Christ. It's time to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is truly the Lord and Savior of your life. It's time to allow the Spirit of God to come and do spiritual surgery on your heart. He will. I promise you he will. Now, folks, everybody look at me. I'm not talking about perfection. There's nobody perfect. But I am talking about another P word, and that is progress. Growth. Maturity. Fruit. That's all discipleship is. It's it's growing in the Lord. It's movement towards Christ. James said that faith without works is what? It's dead. In the literal Greek, it's saying that faith without evidence is no better than a corpse without breath. Let me be clear, okay, so that there's nobody wondering what pastor believes. Look at the screen. Our works and our words do not save us, but they are evidence that we are saved. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about perfection. That's not possible. We're all going to miss it. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to open up our mouth and insert our foot at one, but here's the deal. That needs to be the exception and not the rule. We've been called to a higher standard, and it's not popular to preach, but we've been called to holiness. We've been called to this word, to live according to this word. Not to try to make it into heaven, folks. It's not a salvation issue. It's a heart issue. It's a love issue. It's because we love the the person who was willing to come from heaven to earth and give his life, shed his blood on behalf of my sin. That's why I do what I do, because I love Jesus. Come on, somebody. I love him. I want to please him. I don't want to see how close to the world I can stand and how close to sin that I can get without falling off. Teenagers, please listen to me. Don't try to get see how close you can get to the world. Well, maybe I can take this drink or do this one drug and it won't be that big of a deal. I'll make sure it's in moderation. Come on. Quit trying to get close to the world and let's get close to Jesus instead. My God. Hallelujah. What would... Calm down, calm down, calm down. Get worked up. What would our community look like if it was a church full of people trying to get close to Jesus instead of close to the world? The words of Forrest Gump, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Probably not. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul, abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The Greek there for foul language is literally talking about rotten fruit and vegetables. Have you ever been to a restaurant in the evening, come out and gotten a whiff of the dumpster, ruin the whole night. <laughs> Paul is literally, in the Greek, he's saying, don't let your conversation stink like the world. 
I don't know about you, but I got a long way to go. But this next point has been front and center in my life for at least a decade. God has worn me out with this statement. Look at the screen. There is never, say never, there is never an excuse to be mean or rude or hurtful with our words or actions. For a follower of Jesus, the high road is the only road. The high road is the only road. But pastor, you wouldn't believe The high road is the only road. But they totally stabbed me. The high road is the only road if you follow Jesus. I don't care what circumstance it is. I don't care if it's face-to-face. I don't care if it's on a text message. I don't care if it's in an email. I don't care if it's on a phone call. I don't care if it's on social media. There is never an excuse to be a jerk. Or even at a gas station when everything's going against you. <laughs> and the, there's a 13-year-old working. No. doesn't matter. Christians are those whose hearts have been changed by the power of God. And that change, listen, should be reflected in our words. There should be a change in the way we treat each other. It's a work in progress, I know. But progress, there must be. In closing, I want some actionable steps here to this. This, this kind of message demands that we do something. Are you open to that? For five of you, I appreciate that. The rest of you, I'm going to give it to you anyway. I want us to each take a minute. We're actually going to take some time here to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something that we've said. In the, in, could be today, yesterday, last week, or maybe years ago that was very hurtful or that was hurtful to somebody. And I want you to write it down or make them, you know, I want you to remember it, not for guilt, but because we're going to ask for forgiveness and we're going to do something about it. And look on the screen. This is what I want us to pray over this thing. Lord, I bring this before you. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say besides I'm sorry and forgive me? Lord, how do you want me to handle this? I want you to bow your heads right now. I'm going to give you about a minute. The music's going to play softly. And I want you to pray the Holy Spirit would reveal something to you. A time when you were hurtful that hasn't, it kind of just is, is echoing out there. It's never been taken care of. It's never been addressed. Do that now. Some of these things can't be undone right away. Some of these things are very delicate. and What I want you to do is confess it as sin 
and receive for God's grace and forgiveness for it first and then begin to pray, what can I do about this, Lord? What do you want me to do about this? I believe if you'll do that and follow, actually follow this up this week with whoever this person is or people, that God will do a work in your life and theirs. Thank you.